Bible one-liners are when somebody takes a single line of scripture out, use it for whatever they want, and it's usually not in the context that it was originally written. So you thought, oh, the one-liners for the joke, there was no reason. Yeah, it actually blends in. So <clears throat> a couple things have to be said about this before I get into it. Because I thought about this. Whenever you're going to do something that seems to be somewhat corrective in its method, you want to make sure that you've got the right tone, that you're saying it for the right reasons, that you're not criticizing people for viewing things differently. Or maybe even you've heard it and thought, well, I always thought that's what it meant. Nobody ever taught me different. So we're going to go over a list of ones that are, some of you may already know, some it may surprise you. And I just want to make sure that I have the right spirit in doing it. I don't want to be condescending to anybody. So, Lord, what the Holy Spirit wants to pass through me is what passes through me. And what I say that's not that bright, just let it dim right out and nobody pay attention to it. In Jesus' name. Okay. So the first one I'm going to go for is um, Job chapter 1. We've all heard this line, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Okay? It's actually a misquote. It says, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away, but that's pretty much the same thing. We hear it at funerals, graveside. It's depicted in TV shows, movies all over the place, right? The problem is it's wrong. Because if you look at it in the context of, uh, of the actual scripture, it was Job making comment about what had happened to him. He had four friends come to him and say, oh, well, you know, everything is basically, everything is lost. And his comment was, well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Well, the truth is, it was the devil that did the taking away, not the Lord. Okay? And you also have to take into account what it is that people hear when you make a statement. Um, how familiar are you guys with the Far Side cartoon thing? Okay. Gary Larson had a really great one. It was one of my favorite ones. It says, what, dogs, what people say to dogs. And the guy says to his dog, Fido, I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, don't chew my slippers, Fido, don't chew my slippers, what the dog hears. Blah, 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 Fido, blah, 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 Fido, blah, 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 right? Next frame, what people say to their cats. Fluffy, I told you, don't scratch the furniture. You understand, Fluffy? Don't scratch the furniture. What cats hear? Nothing. They don't hear anything. <clears throat> but the, the key there is that people don't always hear things the way you say them. And marriage counselors have a technique that they use with couples that come in and are always fighting with each other. They they put two chairs facing each other. And they say, okay, now you, one or the other, based on how they evaluate the couple, make a statement to the other one about something. You know, tell them about something. And then they say what they're going to say. And then they say to the other person, now you say back, what I heard you say was, and then you say it. Nine times out of ten with a couple that's not getting along, the person can say, I didn't say that. That's not what I said. Right, Because what we say and how we say it is not always taken that way. So what do people hear when they're at a graveside and they don't know the Lord? And say a young mother, 40 years old, three kids in school, she's passed away. They've never been to church. And there's some guy standing there saying, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. What do they hear? God just killed my mommy. And that's not true. So we have to be really careful about misquoting scripture. And um, let me see where I was on this. Yeah, see, a lot of people view God as being vengeful and mean. And it's because these are the exposures that they've had to God. They've never come to know the true nature of God. So how do we know that, that Job was wrong in the first place? Well, you go to chapter 38 of Job. 
And at that point, God starts to correct Job. Well, after all the whining and all the complaining and all of his friends, I mean, he never curses God, which is what the whole essence of why God let the devil do what he did. And you really should study Job. It's a 10-week series, and I'm not going to take 10 weeks to do it tonight. But God starts correcting him and saying, hey, where were you when I formed the earth? Where were you when I did all of these things? You think you know everything? You don't even know my nature. And fortunately for Job, he caught, he got, he caught on, and he realized that he was wrong, and he, and he repented of it. So, again, we have to be really careful about you know, how we say things and whether or not people are going to hear them when we're quoting Scripture especially. There is one little key thing here that I hesitate somewhat to bring up, but how many people are aware that God never does not determine when each of us dies? A lot of people say, well, they, he, uh, they, the Lord brought him home. Lord came and brought him home. That's not in the Bible. That's not scriptural. The only thing that's in scripture is in Genesis where it says that he cast us out of the garden and put a guard to keep a, a, an angel to guard the tree of life so that we wouldn't live forever. And that was actually a merciful thing if you study that passage, that he was actually doing us a favor because in the sin state we, didn't, we wouldn't want to live forever in that state. So we live for a period of time. And when our time is up, it's just up. God doesn't sit there and say, buddy, next Thursday, 4 o'clock. No, it's not going to happen, buddy. <laughs> not going to happen. But, but I think you know what I'm talking about. We die just because that's what happens to us. And when that time comes... It just comes, and God wasn't behind it, so you don't have to get mad at God for taking someone home because he didn't do it. Now, he'll be there for that person to meet them and bring them to glory if they're a believer. Okay, He'll be there for that, but he didn't cause it anyway. Thought that we were no, nope. There's nothing in the book. There's nothing. Well, well, it's it's common culture. People say it all the time. Well, you know, they went home to be with the Lord. The Lord took them home. And well, there's there's a joke. It says that God gives every man a fixed number of days to live on earth, but He doesn't count the days He spends fishing. Okay. That's where that kind of thing comes from. That's where it, that's where it's, it. Basically, what it boils down to is people don't always know the true nature of God. They think that they do. They, they, they hear things all around them. But if they don't study the word and they don't seek the Holy Spirit, you're never going to know the true nature of God. And look how long it took, 38th chapter of Job, of him mouthing off and whining with all of his friends before God said, Hello, I'm here, and I'm not what you think. So uh, what we need to do is stop putting God in our little boxes. Let me find the other part I'm looking for. The next one, ah, this is a good one. Probably spend a little more time on this one. God will give you the desires of your heart. Okay? What people hear, whatever my heart desires, God will give me. It's taught, it's often taught as part of a God answers your prayers, so he wants to give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37.4 goes like this. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The entire verse has to be 
included because when you say delight yourself in the Lord, that's the key to the entire scripture verse. Okay? The term delight yourself in the original Hebrew means to make yourself soft and pliable. Okay? Picture the image in um, Jeremiah chapter 8, the, the potter, potter's house. Uh, o house of Israel, uh, can I not do with you as, the, as this potter, says the Lord? Look at the clay in the potter's hands. So are you also in my hands, O Israel. Okay? And that includes us. He wants to shape our hearts to place in our hearts proper desires. He doesn't want to give us the desires that we have. He wants to place in our hearts the desires we should have. And that's what that scripture verse is saying. God wants to give you the desires, not give you the things you desire. See the subtle difference there? Okay, good. So far, so good. It's not really about answering prayers. Again, there are scripture verses that talk about answering prayers. And they usually set conditions. James chapter 4, verse 2. But you desire, uh, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you do not get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God when you ask. You do not receive because you ask for the wrong motives. And you may spend it on your, on your own pleasures. That's what we do with the desires of our heart. And then there's John, 1 John chapter 5. Now this is a confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever he asks we know that we will have the things that we have asked of him, right? And then Jesus says this, and whenever you stand praying, if you ask anything, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him for your father in heaven, so your father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. Ouch. So that kind of, falls into, uh, if forgiveness influences the desires of your heart, then God cannot uh, fulfill those desires if you're being unforgiven, unforgiving. So does this affect your salvation? No, I don't believe it does. It would take a much deeper theological study to see if you're not forgiving somebody and God doesn't forgive you. I don't think that that affects whether or not you're saved. But I do think it affects what God can trust you with through eternity. There's many uh, scripture verses about uh, when, when God is willing to give, who, who God can trust with a little, he gives a little. What God can trust with a lot, he gives more. And that's essentially what this is saying here. So back to Psalm 37. We go to Jeremiah again, and if we want to trust our own heart's desires, consider this. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitfully, and the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. 
same theme. Seeing a regular theme going on here? Okay. The reshaping of our hearts so that he can place into our hearts the desires of our hearts goes in line with the scripture verse that talks about renewing your mind once you become saved. Romans chapter 12. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. So another condition of seeking God, of seeking God in prayer is that you first have to be willing to let God renew your mind, right? We always want what we want. Gimme, 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 right? But are we willing to let God reshape us in order to have those requests be righteous and proper? It's hard to say sometimes. And like I said, the desires of your heart are actually flawed anyway, so why would you want them? Um, The desires of your heart can be summed up in this way. Mark 6. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For these things even the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So we worry so much about getting. God already wants to make sure that we're going to have all those things anyway. So those so-called desires of the heart, maybe need to rethink that. Here's another last little thing. This is for husbands. 1 Peter 3, it says that it tells husbands that if they do not honor their wives, their prayers will be hindered as well. So, guys, all right, here's another one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What do people hear? Whatever I do, Jesus will give me the strength to do it, right? Examples that we hear, I've heard this, I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to college and become a doctor. Okay? Because I can do all things through Christ, who stri- through Christ who strengthens me. Well, how are your grades? Are you? Do you have the study habits necessary to take on an academic program like that? It doesn't have to just be medicine. It can be engineering. It could be any, any number of things. Or I'm going to run the Boston Marathon next year because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. Have you ever trained for a marathon? It's not like running a few miles a day, jogging a few miles a day. Talk to people who have run marathons. They'll tell you. It takes a long time. Now, that's not to say that God can't speed up the process for you. If, say, for instance, you do want to go from my grades weren't that good and I want to get into an engineering program and I know that God's going to take me through it, he can show you ways of cutting things short and, and speeding the process up and, and not really cutting corners but not wasting time. But you have to go to him first and, and, uh, and ask him in prayer for that. Let me see where I am here. You know, when you're making notes like this, it all works when you're sitting in front of the computer at home. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, why did I put that verse in there? Oh. skip that one. Oh yeah, the main thing about I can do all things through Christ Jesus, Paul is actually talking about uh, yeah, this, that's why that verse is here because it's Paul in the, actual, the original context. I know how to live humbly and I know how to live in prosperity. Everywhere and in all things I have learned to bo- uh, learned both to, to be full and to be hungry. 
to both abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, uh, you have done well that you have shared my distress. What he's doing, what he's talking about there is, is the persecutions that he faces when he goes out to minister the word. So his, his all strength, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is talking about the strength he needs to get through this trials of his ministry. It's very specific. And, and for us to take a line like that and use it for the marathons and the education and all that, if we're going to be doing the, the work of the Lord on a daily basis, then we're going to need his strength for that, and he will provide that strength for you. But if it's going to be something outside of that context, you need to check with him, and you need to pray it through and make sure that it's actually something that he wants. Uh, lines of scripture like that can, can give us the feel-goods, but they don't necessarily uh, bring accuracy to the situation that we're in. There's nothing wrong with believing that, that God can reach into our situation and bless them and surpass our limitations and maybe even shorten the path. Um, but it's also very important that, that, we, uh, that we ask God, is this something you even want for me? So if a person says, oh, I want, to be, I want to go into an academic program, and I believe God's going to get me through it, well, did you really take the time to say, Lord, is this something that I should be doing? Because it may be that you have another calling in your life. And that goes back to the desires of your heart. Are they proper desires or do you always have it in your mind oh i'm going to be a doctor someday because somebody said my son's a doctor see that's how do you measure those desires of your heart and are you making these claims that oh i can do that god's going to give me the strength because i desire it in my heart and he's going to give me that desire see how it all kind of works around itself all right let me see where i say I'm going to skip that one. We may get out of here a little early tonight. Who knows? Ah, here's another one. God will never give you more than you can bear. Okay? What do people hear? God will protect me from all hardship. That's not what it says. The actual verse here is, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will also, uh, will also make a way of escape that you will be able to bear it. That's what he's talking about. You will never be, he will never allow a temptation to come to you that you won't be able to overcome because he's going to give you the means to overcome it. And of course, again, you've still got to be seeking him for it. If you're out in the world then all of these things are going to be pounding at you and you're not going to have a vehicle by which you can find out whether or not it's something that can be remedied. So it's not talking about the burdens of life. He's talking about enduring temptations. So it, it implies that God is the one who's doing the giving, right? Because it says God, uh, God will never give you more than you can bear. Well, God's not the one who's giving you the temptations, Right? And the way we know that is James chapter 3. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Uh, but to each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and entices. There's that word desires again. 
common theme here. So God says that he'll give you a way out. But then again, you have to be willing to choose it. Uh, we've all had experiences of our, in our lives where the temptations come along and God's reminded us, uh, remember, you're not supposed to be talking to that person at the office. And then you choose whether or not you're going to. If you choose to continue that conversation, go down that flirtation route, you're heading for trouble. Okay? And you had the ability to endure it. You didn't take it. So a little caveat here. Single lines of scripture. There is an exception to that. Say, for instance, you're doing your daily prayer, your regular prayer, and, and you're reading the word. And as you're reading back and forth, a line of scripture jumps off the page and hits it right square in the eyes. And the Holy Spirit says to you, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Right? And it's not in the context of the word. It's just a single line of scripture that jumps out and the God and, and the Lord's tapping you on the shoulder and say, see, those are the words I've been trying to get you to hear and you're not listening. Okay? In those situations, that line of scripture means specifically what God tells you it means and only to you. I've seen a lot of people that have gone forward and said, oh, God showed me this. And now they're out preaching it like this is what that line of scripture is supposed to mean. And it doesn't. And the next time you go back, the next time you're doing your reading and you go back to that line of scripture again, it's not going to jump out at the page at you again because you've already been given that message. You're going to read it in the context it was originally intended to be. So there is a caveat there that in your own private reading, Odd phrases will jump out at you, and you'll go, oh, my goodness, that's right. That's what you've been trying to tell me. The better alternative, I think, personally, is have a relationship with the Holy Spirit so he doesn't have to knock you on the head and say, hello, McFly. <laughs> right? A couple of people have seen that movie, right? <laughs> yeah, so basically these promises can be specific to you but not necessarily universal, okay? Let's see where it was here. I think that that was that one. Ah, this is the tough one. This is the most commonly misquoted scripture. God will, God will work all things for good. And they stop there. What do people hear? Whatever happens to us, God's going to work it out for good. Okay? It comes from Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. NIV says it just a tad differently. And we know that in all things God works for, the, for those good. God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So there's a little bit of a variation there as to exactly where the action verb is there whether it's God that's doing the work or the works are done for those who are in God's purpose. So that's a deeper study that I'm going to get into tonight. Got to understand something about the book of Romans. Paul was writing to non-Jewish people who had no upbringing in the things of, of God. They were hearing about it. They knew about the Hebrew God, but they didn't really have any, any understanding of it. So when you're talking to people that were raised in synagogue and knew Torah, you could use certain approaches 
and references that they were familiar with. These people had no familiarity whatsoever. So Paul's approach was to make a case of logic. If this, then this, and if that, then that. So therefore, if this, then this. So when you're making a case like that and you're putting the pieces together, you can't just pull one line out and expect it to mean something because it's part of the general logic formula that you're putting together. When I was a senior in high school, um, I was taking senior math, and it was a course called uh, Modern Introductory Analysis. And in that course, it was all senior math geek stuff. And um, they showed us that with math equations and algebraic formulas, you can actually solve life logic problems mathematically. And I think that that's something that Paul was kind of doing here. He's making a case for Christ. okay? And when he's talking about what you can expect of a result from God, he's stating basically that, yes, you can count on things working out, but you've got to be called by his purpose. So that's that whole thing about him shaping your heart and changing your mind, right? And once you're in, in that state of mind, okay, then God can work with the things that are in your set of circumstances and work things for good, see? So it is somewhat conditional there. And we have to remember also that the word and is the beginning of that verse, okay? And and is a conjunction. The conjunction joins it with something else. So if you're going to have a line that you're just going to quote by itself and it starts with a conjunction, you've got to go back and find out what it's joined to, okay? It's kind of like the saying that if there's a word therefore, if this happens, you have to look at the word therefore and go back and find out what the word therefore is there for, okay? <laughs> So, and is a conjunction, all right? And it joins it with the previous verses. So we're going to go back a couple, and we're going to read Romans 8, 26, and 7. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Same thing. Answers to prayers, desires of heart, God's purpose, it all works together. That line about uh, the God making intercession, uh, the Holy Spirit making intercession with, with groanings. Have you ever wondered what that sounds like? Here we go to the Lord and we say, you know, we're we're having our daily conversation with the Holy Spirit. Hopefully we all do. And uh, the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in our hearts. And he goes before God and it says groanings that can't be uttered. So here you've got this whatever mess it is that you're dealing with. And the Holy Spirit's interceding for you with God. And the Holy Spirit's looking and going, ah, ah. And the scary part is God gets it. Right? God gets it. It would be nice if we did. So uh, it goes back to the answers of prayers I talked about. So basically to wrap up that part of it, in order for God to work something for good in our lives, we first have to bring it before him through our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Without that relationship, we really can't communicate correctly with the Father anyway. Right? So then this it actually continues. So you want to talk about the whole logic cycle. 
And this brings up another misconception. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called whom he called. These would be justified in whom he is justified. People, what do people hear when you hear that? Oh, God determines through a predestination track of who's going to get saved and who's not. Not what this is saying. What it's saying is that once you get saved, what happens to you has already been established. It's predestined. You accept Christ. He renews your heart. He renews your mind. He places into your heart the desires that you should have. He puts righteousness where righteousness is supposed to be and takes evil out. Who doesn't want that? Okay. So when you do accept Christ, okay, then those things that I was just saying happen. And then that's when the cool stuff starts happening, I think. You know, the chasing, chasing religion your whole life doesn't lead you anywhere. Finding Christ does. And when you do that and you put yourself before him in prayer and you commit him to shape your heart and you commit him to renew your mind, cool stuff happens. And maybe there's people here today and they know I've never had that. I don't know what that is. But I want it. I've never taken a moment where I said, yeah, today is the day I'm going to start living that way. I'm going to go from what it was. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I know now because I feel it deep down. I know there's people here, at least two people here, okay? And God is talking to you right now, knocking you on the head and saying, this is what I've been trying to get you to see. And today is the day you're going to accept Jesus Christ. So if I could have everyone bow their head afford a moment of privacy. Okay, bill number two on the lights, please. Is there somebody here tonight that says, I, I, want, I want to know this. I want to know this, this walk with Jesus. I want to know this life that he's talking about. I want to know the renewing of the mind. I don't know what that is, but I know I want it. And today, I started. Put your hand up. Say, that's me. Praise the Lord. Well, it looks like we're going to get out about 10 minutes early tonight. Um, yeah. I, there's, another, there's another passage that I was going to talk about, but I was talking to a pastor about it, and I talked to my wife Lisa about it as well. And it's actually a standalone teaching there there is a misconception about the the misquoting of a line of it but i'm going to do it another time so thank you everyone for listening to the sound guy who uh, usually doesn't preach <laughs> 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 have a good night god bless you dismissed <laughs>